was uh, nervous uh, preaching, but I definitely get nervous doing skits in front of small children. And, uh, and so this morning, uh, let's, uh, let's redirect our focus towards uh, God's word. Colossians 4 is our text. We are wrapping up uh, a study of Colossians, this letter that the Apostle Paul, uh, inspired of God, uh, wrote. And we will look at the, the closing, uh, beginning uh, chapter 4, verse 7. So I believe it's on page 985 in the Pew Bible. You'll definitely want it open as we look through some of these names and details uh, as part of his closing. If you, I'm sure, have recalled down through the, through the years, times when people have said it's not what you know, it's who you know. I've said it a number of times on a number of occasions, and that's generally true. It's, uh, it, is, it is oftentimes not every problem, every job search, every circumstance, every trouble you may find yourself in. But it is a general principle that it is that helps us operate. It's not what you know, it's who you know that really matters. If you're broken down on the side of the road in the middle of the night, it's good to know the owner of a tow truck company. If you lose the keys to your house or car, it's good to know a locksmith. (laughs) If you're in prison under false charges, it's good to know the district attorney. I'm just going to say, you know how that goes. The sad thing is, of course, there's nothing inherently wrong with these realities, these relationships, these networks, these connections. Nothing inherently wrong at all. The sad thing, of course, is that when people use that principle and use that mantra to selfishly relate to other people, and then sinfully you have folks who are choosing to make friends or prioritize certain friends based on what they can get, not give. They want to see what it might provide them, how they could be potentially helped. We witness at times people wielding power and uh, manipulating other people in various scenarios. They, uh, they, you, you hear people who will name drop, or we get the impression in overhearing conversations that people who are celebrities or people with a certain degree of perceived power, they are the important ones, more important than so-and-so or such-and-such. Sometimes it's not just who you know, it's who you're related to, right? Who is it that you're related to? I had a high, I had a high school friend, Russ, uh, he would get in trouble with the law, but it didn't go that far because his dad was an SBI, a State Bureau of Investigators, uh, you know, lieutenant or something. I remember in seminary, one of my friends, he confessed to me that he didn't get kicked out of college, uh, the Bible college he was a part of because he was Billy Graham's grandson. You know how the story goes, right? You know how these things work out sometimes. I can say, though, emphatically, I can say this with confidence. There is one supreme instance and situation When who you know and who you are related to really, really is everything. Not just something, but everything. I've said it numerous times as we've gone through this uh, portion of Colossians in different ways. But our union with Christ far outweighs any benefit that we could possibly imagine in some other relationship or network to be united to the God man by faith. uh, Jesus Christ, who is alive, who is risen who is raised victorious, our king, to be united to Christ is a mystery and a benefit far beyond what we can comprehend. The Apostle Paul has said that in various ways, time and time again in this letter. There is a mystery and there is a power to being connected to Jesus Christ. We see that we were once dead, but in Christ united to him, we have been made alive. We were once alienated outside Uh, you know, sectioned off, but we have been reconciled in Christ and brought forward. We were once guilty, covered in shame, 
and condemnation, but we have been forgiven in Christ. We've been reconciled to the living and holy God. So I ask you this morning, the message is again and again, we cannot fix ourselves. Christ is the answer. Why is being united to Christ? Even for you this morning, maybe you're not there yet. Have you repented and turned from sin and trusted wholly in Christ entirely? Because it matters. Why does it matter? Well, earlier in this same letter in Colossians 1, we read so clearly that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things were created by him and for him. And in him, all things hold together. Kind of a big deal. It's who you know. It's who you're related to. And Christ is God's son, our brother. The truth is, the key point over and over again that Paul writes to the, this, this obscure church in a small town of nowhere in Colossae, these followers, these Christians, he clearly understands that there's no little people and there are no little places. And he himself is obscure. I mean, Paul's writing this letter from a, a prison cell or at least house arrest in Rome. And he cares about them. He knows that they've embraced Christ, and he also has heard uh, subtle reports of how they've also at different times gotten off course, as, a, as every individual in every church can do. And he notices that they have begun to, to because of maybe the, the false teachers that have crept in or other uh, inclinations in their own uh, vanity and flesh, the common denominator among some of the things that were tempting them, some of the lies of these false teachers that came into the city and church, is that in the end, Jesus is good. But Jesus is not enough. There's more to be added to the recipe or the the equation. Paul reminds them, though, Jesus, in fact, is enough from all eternity. Whatever things that we are encountering, future or even present day to day living, that Christ is sufficient. And our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. I think that we witness that even here with this very final greeting. Now, in verse 5 of chapter 4, we, we, we kind of wrapped up last week the formal uh, body of this letter that Paul writes. But clearly we see here there is a, a closing, a, a closing uh, greeting and, and uh, farewell that Paul grants to them in mentioning several of these names. Still, I believe uh, there's value to this, and we're going to uh, kind of wrap up with this portion. But I invite you to stand as we honor God's word. Colossians 4, verse 7, Paul writes in closing, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know that you, who, who we are, how we are, and that you may encourage one another's hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Verse 11, in Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read to the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You may be seated. Let's ask God's help. Father, would you please uh, be pleased mercifully to establish us, to ground us, uh, to remind us again of your word and our identity that we might not waver nor be deceived by uh, the enemy, the father of lies. Lord, would you grant us uh, energy, all of us, for me to speak and for all of us to listen. Give us ears to hear that would respond with gratitude to your promises and your truths here. For Christ's sake, we ask. Amen. The Christians, as I mentioned in Colossae, they knew Christ. They were united to him. And even Paul, in writing this closing, I think illustrates in part two additional implications uh, to them and for us as well. And that is that if we are united to Christ, there is both a greater community and because of our union with Christ, we have a greater purpose. Plain and simple, I listed them there in the order of service. A greater community and a greater purpose. Earlier in our study of Colossians, I mentioned how we, uh, and not just we, but all those who are uh, part of the visible church and proclaiming the gospel and have the marks of the church and baptism and the Lord's uh, Supper and the administration of these sacraments and also uh, the preaching of the word and discipline, the visible church, that covenant community, we're not defined because of our proximity that we live in relationship from here to to Boston on the South Shore or our assembly. It's not that we distinguish ourselves or what marks us uh, as, as because we're a people assembled here at 77 Rockland Street. No, it's, it's not those things. It's because of our identity. We are hidden with Christ, who is the hope of glory. Paul had written that earlier. Our connectedness centers not on where we live in this you know, beautiful place as it is, but because we are united, linked with Christ. The connectedness that a community uh, is, is experiencing is fairly obvious here in Colossians 4, because sometimes Paul writes that he's portrayed or perceived I think at times as if he's some type of lone ranger, right? He goes out on these missionary journeys by himself, gets thrown in prison by himself, gets shipwrecked by himself, and plants churches by himself. But none of that's true. And uh, in fact, if you want proof of it, this right here, these verses we just read are a great example. There are multiple names. There's 10 names mentioned here, 10 different friends. He mentions them as fellow servants, as fellow uh, brothers and sisters. In fact, between Acts, the, the letters of, of uh, Luke uh, and Acts and all of Paul's letters in, included, there's mention of, of over 100 friends that Paul relies upon. 26 of them are mentioned in Romans 16 alone. And even here, as Paul uh, summarizes his ties and his greetings and relationship, he also assumes that they have ties themselves as a, a body of believers, the local church there in Colossae with other neighboring areas and churches. Two things that characterize this community. One is that they're sharing and the other is that they're praying. They're a community of sharing. Paul says to Tychicus, uh, I don't know how to pronounce all of these names, by the way, and, and I might even mispronounce them or contradict myself here in a second. But you get the point. Verse eight, he sent Tychicus 
to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, that update is, is assumed. He doesn't need to go. Paul hasn't gone into great detail. Yes, he did say, remember my chains. But the whole purpose of the letter wasn't an update on him. It was all about encouraging them and, and around the person of Christ. Paul does go on to say, remember his chains. And I think that between the, the, this reference and other greetings elsewhere, it's part of his open honesty and his need to express, I'm dependent upon you. That I love you, but I'm also, honestly, I'm dependent upon you. Do you have people in your life that you would say that about? Not just people that, that bail you out of trouble, but people who bear burdens with you. It, it's, it's a give and a take that you have people that you w- would indeed call upon. I remember in uh, our marriage early on, I remember being discouraged. And, and Krista encouraged me, go call these friends. Let them know what you need and how they can help and pray for you. And I remember saying, I don't want to do that because I don't want to be perceived as needy or high maintenance. She rolled her eyes. <laughs> I, I, I don't care now. I, I, I probably am. And, and there's probably people now in my life that see me call on the phone and they say, what does Troy need now? <laughs> I hope that they can call me and ask for what they need. There was obviously sharing that took place. There also was praying. The other reason that Paul wants the Colossian church to know some of these details and be informed of his situation is that they would have a knowledge on how to pray and to do so in a a particular specific manner. Why he says that of Epaphras in verse 12, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you. This guy, it says of him, listen to the qualities and the characteristics of his prayer. They're constant. They're fervent. They're personal. He says he's always doing it. He's doing it with, with earnest because he is struggling. He writes there in verse 12. And it's even personal because he's praying specifically for you, these people, this, uh, this community of believers in Colossae. And frankly, for us and for you collectively, the more that we pursue these qualities of both sharing and praying with honest humility in Christ, again, that union the greater sense of community that we experience. Yeah, I had a chance to visit with a mentor of mine when I was in, in Memphis, uh, a wonderful guy uh, named David Bowen. And, uh, and uh, he and I were, were, were visiting over lunch and catching up. And David, a wonderful mentor to me, said, uh, reminded me of things, but one of the lines that he always would use was, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And I believe that. That's an important principle. And he used to say, he would apply it. So he'd say, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And I applied that from the earliest days to, to prayer meeting. I don't care if, if, it's, if it's bad and we're fumbling around and, and it's early in the morning. And if nobody comes or if two people come, I praise God. Thanks to Zoom, we've got a lot of people that seem to be wanting to come at 7 Thursday morning. Go ahead and mark your calendar. Uh, I love prayer meeting. And, and even if only one, person's, one person comes, I'm going to have prayer meeting every single week. And I learned that at Church of the Good Shepherd, before we moved up here, it's the church that I served at, we had a prayer meeting. And David, didn't, David, the senior minister, didn't force us to go, but I started going. And I benefited immensely because of one particular person. 
Actually, two of them, Ruth and another woman named Connie. Ruth's gone on to be with the Lord. Connie was another older uh, lady in the congregation, faithful in prayer, and she taught me a great deal. She was a, a, a marvelous woman of faith. Uh, she also happened to be a, 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 a marvelous mind. Uh, she was a professor uh, and a physicist at Duke, and so was her husband. And I would see them walking around the campus. They both were, uh, were retired or semi-retired, and she would care for him. And, and, he, and he ended up developing uh, cancer, and I would go over and pray with them. And, and I learned so much about science and faith. I learned about prayer from this couple. I, I, don't, I don't know how to say this. Like, you think about Paul's relationship with this diverse group of people he lists here. There's people in your life that are friends that you don't have unless you're a part of a church. And Connie's one of them. And I was reminded of Connie because she's been one of the people that has supported us uh, through prayer all of these years since we moved up here a dozen years ago. She financially gave to this church, uh, she and her husband, to see this church founded. And the reason I bring her name up is because I was, I was corresponding with her via email this week. And she wrote and she said, I pray for your church weekly. And so often have you and Krista and the kids been on my mind. She goes on to write of her church in Florida. After she was widowed, she moved to Florida and she plugged into a PCA a church plant, probably about the size of our body here. Moving here to Florida was one of the boldest moves of faith for me. But the Lord made his will so clear as to leave no doubt that I was supposed to help with Florida Coast Church. Oh, yes. I failed to mention the reason that I reached out to her this week was because I knew that the Powells who were taking their son Luke down to Florida for college were going to go to this church. Right now they're worshiping and I told them uh, to look out for Connie and Connie's looking out for them. I said, Connie, <clears throat> I knew that Chad and Erica would be there. And I said, when you see Connie, this is what I wrote to, to Chad and Erica via text this morning. When you see Connie and she'll be looking for you, please not only give her a hug from myself and Kristen, our family, but would you please thank her for faithfully supporting our church plant through generosity and prayer? It was kind of cool. I, I just, I love that I'm reading the New Testament and it still feels like we're doing this in relationship and correspondence with the body of Christ in the visible church across state lines. It's a greater, united to Christ, we have a greater community. My next point, united to Christ, we actually have a greater purpose and there's even a degree of connected reciprocity between these two because Really, we, why do we have community? It's because we have a greater purpose together. And the reason we have a greater purpose is because vice versa, we have a greater community. So what is part of this greater purpose? Christ so clearly is the head of the body, the church, and each of us are members of that body if we are united to Christ by faith. People in the body have gifts and talents and stories and struggles and experiences. And what's truly important is that they are working together under that head for a greater cause and a greater purpose, the glory of the head, our, our, our Lord and risen King, but also people that need to be enfolded and experience made disciples. Two things from our text that characterize this greater purpose. One is a kingdom laboring and again, kingdom prayer. The kingdom laboring here, the language of Paul describes that their work in verse 7 and 11, you see it that they were servants, that they were working. Verse 11 captures it best. These are the only men of the circumcision, referring to Jews who were, uh, were Christians, workers with them for the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom. 
And it's just one of the reasons that I do desire for us as a church to pray for missionaries and to pray for people who are working not just in our neck of of the woods in the vineyard of God's uh, plan, but also in other parts of the world. It's one of the reasons I love uh, next Sunday, next Lord's Day, we get to hear about what God's doing through Reformed University Fellowship and Ministry. We're going to have one of the campus ministers come and hear about what God's doing in our presbytery and up at, at Boston University. It's a joy to discover what God is doing in the world and to partner, to, to partner with that through, through learning and praying and giving and sending others. The other greater purpose is this kingdom prayer. Again, we can't avoid it. The vision of prayer is here that the kingdom goes forth on account of these prayers. Paul is sharing about his circumstances and his imprisonment because he wants the message to go forth. That the word of God, he already told us, is not chained, but it is sent forth in power because of the spirit and the prayers of the saint. The same thing again with Epaphras in verse 13 and 12. And then he mentions these other neighboring cities who uh, Epaphras himself had presumably gone on to plant. The goal is that they would grow and mature because of his work. He even tells in verse 17 of this, uh, this gentleman, Archippus, he says, see to it that you'll complete the work, that kingdom labor. We're praying for him and praying for you. But let me just say here, and let me just pause and say, why is it that we don't engage at times with any intentionality or maybe a limited, why is it there reservation for us to lean into things like community, relationship, and prayer? There may be any number of reasons. And I'm not saying this is a summary of all of them. It's just there are times when we feel uh, reluctance and resistance to that kingdom community and kingdom prayer. Sometimes we say it's because I have no friends, but we know the old adage to have a friend is to be a friend. If you want a friend, be a friend. It's, it's not it's not profound, but it is it is hard. I know that there are also sometimes deeper things at work. And one of those is pride. To share and to pray to share with transparency about our needs is unsettling. It's, it's humbling in a good way. We have to admit our need to submit to God. So to ask for, we cannot, we have to ask for help. We can't both save face and still enjoy and know honest, transparent, loving community. Pride gets in the way and giving and receiving community the other one that gets in the way is, is praise. We sometimes would prefer, not, we would prefer to not be in the backdrop and in the, the, the behind the scenes. We want to be in the fore. And yes, Paul is the leader and he's in the forefront and he gets a lot of the attention. But we clearly know, even in just simply the mentioning of these names, let alone other testimonies, that he was not by himself. He could not have done this any way, shape or form by himself. The other thing that inhibits sometimes is the idol of productivity. We don't think to engage in those activities and that type of work, whether it's prayer or hospitality, whether it's just making it a priority to, to come to worship. The, the, the times that we avoid that because it doesn't feel like we're getting anything done. And my to-do list is already long enough, so don't add to it. All of these areas, all of these encumbrances, I know I myself have failed. I need the encouragement of a community of believers. There are times that you guys step out in faith and you don't know who's looking. And sometimes that person looking is me. And it causes me to be compelled to love and to pursue others. What a beautiful 
thing. Thank you. It's encouraging to me to note the names of these various servants in the passage because some of them are real people. They are real people, but some of them are real failures even. Paul had a pretty strange and rather diverse support group of friends and co-laborers mentioned here. And if you do just a little bit of digging on some of these names, sometimes you find nothing. Other times you find out some quite interesting details. What we experience... One of, the, one of my, uh, one of my one, an author that I, uh, a counsel that I appreciate is uh, who writes, uh, David Murray. He mentions that these 10 names show us that spiritual friendship is an important thing. That our, not just our network, uh, you know, on, on, on Indeed or social media, but I mean our network of, of relationships in and around the body of Christ, the visible church, that we have spiritual friendship. It is crucial. And the way that I think about it is this way. Whenever you find yourself in a foreign land and you feel out of step and you feel needy and you feel even sometimes disoriented and lost, imagine yourself. The way to, 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 analogi- to, to make an analogy is to say, what if you were in a country where you, you didn't quite understand the language and, and, and no, you didn't have Google Translate, okay? It's the 90s, folks. And you're, 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 you're traveling around with your only copy of Lonely Planet and you just want to meet some people who speak English more Moreover, you just want to be around some people who understand the things that matter to you and you're, you're disoriented and you find a local church. And it's like finding the embassy. It's like being in trouble and being, being unsettled and knowing that you need practical help and you're a citizen and you carry the, the passport of a U.S. citizen. You find the embassy. And for me over the years to find the church and know these are my people. Paul was not, contrary to what we might imagine, I love this list because Paul was not uh, a, some, somehow a super spiritual hero who no one really knew. Clearly, he is known. Clearly, he's in relationship. And going back to David Murray, this, uh, this uh, author, commentator, he writes, spiritual friendship is usually more diverse than ordinary friendship. Paul befriended people from different backgrounds and different social groups with different interests, different gifts, and different personalities. And by the way, I see that in our church. And I am very grateful. I am very grateful. I have learned. I have been blessed. And I know many of you have too. Paul is saying here there's an interconnectedness. There's an interdependency of the body of believers. I just want to quickly in closing, though, go over this list. And just consider who's included on the list. This is like going at the, you know, at, at the end of May or June and you find out you get the, oh, the, the yearbook has been published. And, and the first thing you would do, we're still in the 90s, sorry, I, I'm in high school. Uh, where you, you'd go to the yearbook and you'd say, oh, great, let's go to the index. Where is, where is my name? Oh, good, I'm on page five and, and 201 and, oh, that's a really embarrassing picture of me and track and... Whatever, you know, you want to find yourself. Where do you find yourself on this list of people? Really? For him to greet these folks. Well, look at who he includes. Paul is friends with a whole range of missionaries, right? Tychicus, verse 7. Justice, verse 11. Archippus, verse 17. All different missionaries and ministries in different areas. Paul's friends with slaves. Paul's friends with Onesimus. He mentions him in verse 9. We find out later Onesimus was a runaway slave. 
And, and he was converted to Jesus, got introduced to Paul. Paul's sending him back with this letter. And they're saying, he's saying to the church, don't treat him like a criminal. Love him. Welcome him. Who else is listed here? Speaking of criminals, Paul's friends of prisoners. Aristarchus, he was converted through Paul's ministry. We read about that in Acts. Get a little backstory on these people. He was friends with Jews. He was friends with Gentiles. There's three names, both of which fall into one of those categories. He was friends with scholars and physicians. He mentions specifically Luke. Verse 14, then he's friends with a woman who presumably has wealth and obviously has the gift of hospitality. Nympha in verse 15, because she opened her house to a house church. But in looking over this list and studying it this week, the, the, the one that stood out to me, I should say the two, because they're actually standing in contrast, is Mark and Demas. And I'll explain why. Because they are contrasted. I think it illustrates, amongst other things, that, that friendships and relationships, they can shift. And I, I don't just mean that for negative. It, it is what it is. But you see here, back in the book of Acts, chapter 12... We see that Mark, he got off to a great start and he was helpful. He was helpful to Paul in his early ministry, but, but he just lost his way. And he, become an, he, he became a distraction and a hindrance and a problem. And there was awkwardness and division and they went their separate ways. So Paul didn't want to have anything to do with Mark. I'm sure it was mutual. But here, 12, some say maybe 14 years later, who is Paul writing about? Mark, he's been reconciled. He says, particularly, even for failed friendships, would you please greet Mark? And as for Demas, right? Demas was the, was the one who had, a, had a, a, you know, a great start. I mean, here, Demas is, is serving, it's great, but you know what happens? Later, we find out that Demas was the one, although commended here, Later, 2 Timothy left Paul because he loved the world. Part of the reason I highlight that, well, it's part of the principle of, you know, you, it, it, it's better to have a, a, a finish than a start. Uh, yeah, that's true. But I'm just illustrating, of course, that Paul is not a man who's guarded and he's not a man who's bitter. And I think that's great because it's not only in theory, because remember, we studied this a couple weeks ago. Paul said, you should forgive whatever grievances you may have, that you should forgive as the Lord forgave you. So there's a man who's saying, hey, here it is in theory. I want to tell you what you ought to do. And that's pretty hard to do when you start putting particulars on it. You can talk about forgiveness all day long. And then all it takes is for someone to mention just one person's name. Tell me I'm wrong. Do you think prayer works? If you doubt it, this week, pray for your enemies. Just one of them. See if that bears any fruit or change. It's helped me at times. I'm glad that Paul applies the love of Jesus. He is reconciled to Mark. 
So again, I'll just conclude with our study of Colossians here. Why does union with Christ matter? Well, because so clearly Paul said that in him, Christ, all the fullness of deity bodily dwells. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Who but Christ, in addition to all of the eternal blessings of redemption and forgiveness that we enjoy, can also bring into your life Jesus the richness of community and support, encouragement, people that you can come together with and say, yeah, yeah, I have purpose. Well, the truth is no one. Because again, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Do you know him personally, intimately, that you would cry to him and pray to him and trust him? Jesus, the God-man, the good shepherd. Well, let's pray before we come to the Lord's table. Father, we do look to you. We thank you for the richness of your word. Particularly, we're grateful for this portion where Paul, just being guided and inspired by you, gives us a window. We know, Lord, they had and we have trials, awkwardness in relationship, temptations, disappointment, suffering, guilt, shame, Lord, we know that there were joys and victories, but we have concluded, we want to conclude that Jesus is enough, that Christ's grace is all sufficient. So teach us, Lord, we pray that you teach us to pray. We do pray, Lord, for our country. We know there's many reasons for discouragement at times. We know there's a need, even amidst uh, you know, problems, there's a need for unity, even amidst tra- tragedies, And travesties, we pray, and we lift up those who are suffering great loss and grief and pain in Hawaii. Lord, we pray for our presbytery, for for our, our church planting, the New England Church Planting Network. We pray that you would call forth and raise up laborers, not not just pastors, but people who would surround church planters and pastors like the folks who surrounded Paul. To bring change to lives and communities. Lord, we remember, again, those who are heading off to to school, some for the first time. And I I do this morning pray for Abigail and for Graydon Webster as they head off to school. Would you again uh, grant to them your spirit, the fruit that comes when they abide in Christ. Grant them friends in this transition. Establish them. Lord, I pray for all students, teachers, school administrators this time of year. Would you encourage and refresh and Strengthen them as they head into a new year to walk by faith. Lord, there's, there's much that uh, troubles our hearts and times our minds. Some of that we know about, some of it we don't. Lord, if there are things that we don't know about that we need to minister to, that folks that are struggling that we need to care for, please give us eyes to see. Please give us a heart to love. Please give us boldness to speak up. Please help us to truly believe it's more blessed to give than receive. For Jesus' sake, we pray all of this. Even now, in his name, as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom.